This is the Creative Life Show, celebrating being highly creative in a less creative world. I'm Joanna Peters, coach and mentor to professional creatives and creative professionals, and I talk to other creatives, innovators and thinkers about how we create, face down our critics, stay on track, get noticed and paid, and do the work we want to do. And I'm sharing the progress of my own book, all about creative people and how we thrive. Hello and welcome. What does it take to sell a million novels without having a publisher? My guest Mel Sherratt knows because that's exactly what she's done. So back in 2011, Mel had had enough of her manuscripts and repeatedly rejected by publishers. And she decided to enter the still new world of self-publishing. So eight years and a million copies later, she's a full-time author She's in demand at book fairs and literary events. All of her 11 crime novels have been bestsellers, and there are, I believe, seven other books besides. She's also been shortlisted for the prestigious Dagger in Library Award for crime writers. Mel, welcome to the Creative Life Show. Hello, lovely to be here. You spent your life, I know, wanting to write. When did you realise that you were finally in a place to support yourself as a full-time author? I think that was back in 2011 when I decided to self-publish, to be honest, um, because I was made redundant in 2010, took a year out to continue my long journey of trying to get published and um, decided to take a chance on self-publishing on the Kindle. And within a couple of months, just managed to scrape through a few hundred pounds to get me going. And then from 2012, it's kept me going ever since. Right. So really fast journey then. Yes, before the yeah, when the, when I pressed the Kindle button, yes, but before that there was twelve years of rejection and probably many years before that where I was trying to write and never actually sent a book out to anyone. <laughs> we'll talk more about that. But first I want to ask you, as I do all my guests, what does it mean to you to lead a creative life? Oh gosh, I, I don't think I could do anything else now. I think a lot of the jobs that I've done over the years, I've felt like I've been pretty creative and then obviously get, got bored with them and moved on. And obviously having my back, writing in the background as well, I've been able to be creative, but I don't think I can remember a time when I've ever not been creating. So it must be part of my life. But you weren't in a writing job before this, were you? No, I... Majority of my work, well, I worked in a building society for 15 years, uh, giving money out to people. And then I went to work for the local city council where I was a housing officer, which I get a lot of my background from, my stories from. The last four years before I was made redundant, I was working as a business consultant in training and development. So I was actually writing policies and procedures then, being quite creative, trying to get money off people. But not actually, it was all all non-fiction, basically. Um, Nothing nothing creative apart from coming home and, and doing something different. So let's talk about a time of particular creative challenge that you faced in your life. Can you take us through it? Yeah, I think uh, this is quite poignant, actually, because I've just been um, speaking to an editor that I'm going to be working with now, and I'm going 100% back to what I originally wanted to do in the first place. I started off writing women's fiction and couldn't get that published anywhere in the traditional world. Obviously, then started becoming a housing officer and working in um, a lower income bracket. And there was lots of stories about community, um, really exact things that I knew that I could get to the heart of with people. I wrote a series called the Estate Series, and that didn't sell either. So my agent at the time said to me, write crime thrillers. And that was the genre that actually actually took off. 
but that was never what I wanted to write. I always wanted to write dark women's fiction. And now, because I've been, I am published by, by somebody now, and um, now I'm well, starting to work with them. I wrote police procedurals, and finally now I'm going to be starting writing back exactly what I wanted to in the first place. So I think that's my heartbreaking story, really, as even though I had my journey and sold my million books, only half the books that I wrote were the ones that I wanted to write, and it was quite frustrating being told what to write or maybe uh, writing what would sell. Gosh, that's a really interesting sort of point to go back to, to, to reach this level of success, but actually not doing the thing that you've always dreamed of so still yes definitely I write women's fiction under under a pen name as well Marcy Steele which I'm just starting to do again because I thoroughly enjoy doing the lighter side of things as well and the dark side didn't quite gel with me at times the the series I've, I've just done and probably the best books I've ever written and they're called Hush Hush and the next one out is in May called TikTok. They're set in my home city and I didn't particularly feel comfortable writing murder in my, my home home city and, and places that I've been. But people love my police procedurals. So it was a case of, you know, you, you've got to go where, where people want you want you to. But now I'm stepping back to help to what I did before and just taking the psychological thriller element out of it. But I, I'm going to solving murders I'm going to be going with the victims and and feeling their fear and their emotion which is the bit that I absolutely love so it's interesting that you've from the beginning you you haven't been pigeonholed in a way (laughs) because you've written a number of different things the first book you published was women's fiction wasn't it it was yes it was called stirred with love (laughs) and that wasn't under your own name no that was under Marcy Steele so why did you publish that one first? That was at the time when Taunting the Dead was going around to all the traditional publishers. And by then I'd, I'd got to know a few of them by networking, the, the editors that the, the book was going to. And they were just saying it was just too raw. It was a bit too much like other people. They got people on their books, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the Kindle had come out that, that Christmas. I think it was October when I decided to self-publish one of my women's fiction books as just a little guinea pig to see if I could do it myself. And then if I could, I was going to take Taunting the Dead out. So Taunting the Dead is a crime novel, isn't it? And that was your real sort of breakthrough one. So that was going around agents and publishers. Mm-hmm. And they were they were turning it down. So I knew that the Kindle was going to be the big thing under the Christmas tree that year in 2010, 2011. Like I said, I just took Marcy out for a guinea pig to see if I could do it first and thought if I can get her going or have a good experience self-publishing, if nobody will take on Taunting the Dead, then I know how to do it. And if Marcy didn't work, then I hadn't lost anything in my own name. <laughs> so I, I took Marcy out and had an experiment with her, but she literally took off. It was incredible. <laughs> it was it was really good timing, even after 12 years of rejection, to be on the Kindle at that time. But uh, yeah, it was a real good experience. So you finally got a novel out there and, and it's selling and you're beginning to make some money and build up some fans. So should, the next logical step, surely, was to publish another Marcy Steele book. Yes, I did. I literally did. I had one called, like I said, called Stirred with Love, and I was writing another one. And because Marcy Steele took off so quick, I quickly wrote the second one and put it out in December that year. And then I put Taunting the Dead out in my own name at the same time. And in February, when Taunting the Dead just literally, I mean, it went to number two in the charts. It just just literally flew up the charts. It was a fantastic feeling after being rejected for so long. I'd actually got number 14 as Marcy Steele, stirred with love and couldn't tell anybody that I got two books in the charts because nobody knew I was Marcy Steele. 
<laughs> so that's extraordinary. Presumably, you were you were reaching completely different readership with those two different authors, those two different styles. Yeah, definitely. And and still, there's there is some crossover now. A lot of people who've read Marcy will will read Mal as well, but a lot of them won't as well. They are. Mama Crime is really really hard hitting. It's quite violent in places. So it is Marcy. I calls shooters. Home is where the heart is, and my mal books are home is where the hurt is. Right. Yes. And they're, they're very dark, aren't they, your, your crime books? <laughs> they are, but I'm not. <laughs> they are, yeah. Well, you started off by saying that, that you feel you've been writing books that weren't what you really wanted to write. So was Taunting the Dead the book that you really wanted to write, or still not? No, Taunting the Dead was a result of I couldn't get the estate series, which is the one I really wanted to take off. And they were very much like dark women's fiction, a bit like the TV programme Shameless meets Coronation Street, that type of thing. So they were happy ever after endings once people had got over the problems. Um, very, very female dominated, where Taunting the Dead was um, a police procedural, very, very set up a lot of uh, male villains and that type of thing, but with a strong female cop in there. So they were very, very different. And then I had to obviously learn all the police procedural elements to get a murder in there and actually solve it as well. But that, in the end, proved to be a breakthrough. Was that because it fitted neatly into a market that was already there? I think it was probably because it didn't fit into a market that was already there. And and at the time, as Kindle had got 500 50,000 crime thrillers on there. They've probably got maybe 2 million on there now. So I picked it, like I said, even though I was 12 years of rejection in the traditional world, in the Kindle world, I was just at the right time to actually go out there. There wasn't much on there, so people would take a shot. And I actually put a cover up that wasn't like a a procedural cover. It was, um, which I've still got at the moment, it was a rose which was bleeding on the page. So it it was called Taunting the Dead. And I think it was just maybe a lot of people were, I had a big network I was blogging at the time and, and Twitter was lovely and new then and it was nice to talk to people on, on Twitter. And I had a lot of people who would retweet tweet and, and I put the book out for 99 pence and just took a gamble with it. Didn't do any advertising whatsoever and it just you know gathered momentum from there. So it was a real, real good experience and that's been my best seller so far. That's sold over 200,000 copies that one, one book has. Right, that's still your best seller. It is, yes. Mm. That's interesting because certainly I have the sense the the traditional book, how to sell a book thing goes, you gradually, you publish more and you build your tribe and you start selling more as you publish more books. Has that generally been the trend or actually it really doesn't fit that at all? I think what happens is, is that's the majority of people that you do build, build book by book by book. But sometimes you have a one-off that will go flying out or you'll see a debut do really, really well with the first book and then the second and third drop off. So I, I think I did that. I caught, caught on the back of a wave and number two and three didn't do as well, but they did extremely well. And then I carried on doing different series from there. So I've had four books that have sold over 100,000. So to put it in perspective, I've, I've got 15 published, um, one ready to go when I'm writing two. So it's 15 books that are out there. And four of those books have sold 100,000 each. And then the rest have been like a little army in the background selling there as well. Right. So again, quite a mix of things going on but let's go back to your point about writing the thing that you want to write you said maybe half of them are the books that you really want to yeah and they're the estate books which you which you did put out at one point yes I'm the Marty books because I I always wanted to do women's fiction when I started anyway so now I'm going to go be doing dark women's fiction again rather than police procedural 
So the same sort of characters, but I will be with the characters rather than the, the police. Police procedures are very rigid, as you can you know, understand. You can't actually, uh, you have to solve the murder for starters. You can't really have a lot of humour in there because it's not not nice in it, in it, as the murder's going on. Um, and I miss that element of putting the, 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 you know, the one-liners in there and, and the chatty things, which I'll be able to do in the new one. But I missed actually being with the characters. And obviously police procedures are you with the police and you checking CCTV. It's very restrictive, very rigid. It has to be real. And I just felt a bit restricted by myself with writing. Plus, you know, I like to be with the victims and I like to explore what they're going through and, and why. I like why done it. So when you're writing those two types of books, is there a difference? Do you, do you go through a different kind of personal experience writing the, the women's fiction to the police procedurals? Yes, it can get you down, actually, to be honest. <laughs> the, the women's fictions are much, much nicer and very much easier to write as well, and, and they are quite funny. I, they're not d- typically rom-com, but they are very much like... Now I've actually started a new series of Marcy. It's going to be called Hope Street. That's coming out later in the new year. That is actually about a street as hap- like a happy coronation street, and then obviously my new series is going to be based on an estate, and that's the dark side of people. So these two two elements of these two series now are going to be really good and great for me to write because that is actually what I want to do, be with the characters and tell stories rather than uh, solve a murder and committed. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. it is, I don't even have to split myself up doing these two, two genres because they, they are practically the same <laughs> to me. <laughs> right. So when, when you're sitting there at your desk, and I get the sense you're very disciplined, you sit down in the morning and you start writing, don't you? Yes. <laughs> is it, how much is it an emotional experience and how much is it just, you know, is it quite practical and disciplined? A lot of it is practical and disciplined. When I'm getting towards the end of a book, I can actually feel like the character. Sometimes I can get quite upset. That's the, the downside of it. But I tend not to do, my books are very violent, but you'll only find half a page at a time. And they're very like sharp, sharp sentences that will take you into the mind of what I want you to do. So for me, luckily, I think I must detach myself when I write and just only write them short, sharp scenes. I, I actually read one of my books back the other month called Don't Look Behind You. And I was quite surprised to read how violent I felt when I was reading it. And yet it was only half a page. So it's obviously what I tell in my show in my writing that people see that makes it that way. So to me, I must detach myself when I write it. Sometimes it can can get to me, but but not a lot. Yes, I was going to ask you, I imagine that crime writers get asked this all the time. Are, are you sitting at dinner parties dreaming about murder weapons? <laughs> I sit anywhere dreaming about murder weapons. And what, what Billingham said, one of the, the top crime writers said, and I always re- remember it, there is no bad news for a crime writer because every time you hear something on the news, you think, oh, I could just twist that. A bit shocking, but we could just twist and use that and and, and off we go. With I, I am never short of ideas. I have got a 10-book series with Marcy planned and I'm on book one and I have about seven or eight ideas ready and still they keep coming to me. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because I mean, if I look at your different, your, well, sort of your 15 published books, mm-hmm. you've got, you do group them, I mean, you have various series, but you also have quite a lot of standalones. How do you decide where you're going next? Is it commercial decision or being led by your fans or what, what's calling you inside? I think it's just the characters, which might sound pretty weird to people, but I think it's the story that whatever story dominates my mind and comes to me is the story I'll write next. Obviously, if I'm working with a publisher, then I, I've got the books that I, I know that I'm writing for them. But 
the last self-published one I did was called She Did It. And that she and that I've been wanting to write that for about four or five years. So I just decided to sit down and do it. And, and, and that was it with that. I, I have to write whatever's in my head. And if my audience don't like them, they don't always like all of them. But the general voice is there. And, and I just have to go with the flow sometimes. I think it would be quite boring if we had to do all the same. But that's what they expect sometimes as well. <laughs> Well, that's one of the freedoms about self-publishing, isn't it? But you've just alluded to working with a publisher. I know you've you've worked with different traditional publishers since you really took off. Why do you do that route from time to time? I started off with, I've worked with two digital, predominantly digital publishers, um, Amazon Publishing and Bukatua. And then I've obviously now gone to HarperCollins with a traditional route. I think, to be honest, when I first started in 2011, I put Taunting the Dead out with an idea of, well, if I can sell these books and I can go to a publisher and say I've sold 5,000 copies or whatever, then they might be interested in me. And that was the whole reason why I put Torn to the Dead out on Kindle. When it took off, I then put my estate series that couldn't sell. I put those out as well and I made a name for myself and then realised that actually I'm doing okay with this bit. I'll I'll keep self-publishing whenever I want to, but I would still like that whole experience of working with an editor um, and having books uh, seen and obviously in shops with traditional publishers, but I still now enjoy self-publishing. I obviously have my my own team to work with now. I have my own book cover design and I'm actually learning that myself as well. I have editors and PR people that I work with now as well as working with my publisher so it gives me the best of both worlds and a bit of control as well mm. yeah and you mentioned a few times on your blog that you're about to go and have lunch with your editor for instance and so how long have you been working with an editor with your self-published books learned literally by my mistakes um i didn't have an ed- literally by my mistake reader or anything i had friends who would do it for me which was great but you do anything i had friends who would do it for me without it but you don't you're literally edited by an editor so when i went to with thomas and mercer which is amazon publishing i had an editor with them and i learned from them same with the other two publishers the one from them same with the other two collins the one i'm working with now is just i have a look. collins is phenomenal and I've obviously I have learned so much with her and I've obviously what is it that your editors give to you they are the sparkle to my words I'm hopefully getting better now at book 15 but sometimes hopefully getting better I can see that now before they tell you the things you certainly miss because you're since around and I can see that now they add the sparkle just elaborate this or I don't understand this and at first I used to think well why don't you understand it because I do and then what she was actually saying can you just elaborate won't understand not, not that she didn't and I didn't the reader won't understand you need to elaborate here and they just they just pick up on things that you've that she didn't and I didn't I didn't I think of that and then just make it better and the structural edits that I've been phenomenal been really good I've learned with everyone right and is that working on the sort of the overall plot and the narrative of it Yes, once I've done my draft, of, of, I do about 80,000 words draft. The overall plot. Um, and I have to say, I probably do about 10 drafts. That very first goes off to see anybody. And then that when I was draft. And then um, <laughs> literally just you have to think it's, it's not yours anymore and just just get down to it and do it. And it's always a bit I have to annihilate it. I think there's probably maybe one or two points out of all the editors of Wordworks that I have I've thought, no, I don't want to do that. The rest of it I've just agreed with because they can see what the book will be eventually, whereas you were so close to it, you sometimes can't see that and, and you miss things as well. 
So when you think back to sort of young Mel sitting going, I want to be a writer. I just want to, I want to write. (laughs) With the life you have now. So when you, it's a reality, very young Mel sitting going, I want to be a writer. I just say I I am living the dream career so you know you, you actually are literally sometimes subcontracting to people and once that that two book deal's done you're after another one and, and can have so many you can have low days when you have one star and you try not to take it to but other than that I've got I've got the freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do and the financial freedom as well and coming from a place like Stoke content we, we don't earn a lot of money in the city and I feel very privileged and, and lucky to personally uh, and living the standards of living that I've got through to do when I want to do and the things that have come out of my own mind it's just it's phenomenal really I am very very lucky and Stoke's quite important to you isn't it are, are you from Stoke originally no and living the standards of living that I've got through actually that's about Stoke where, where is it I'm based it's phenomenal really I am very very lucky and so- uh, Josiah Wedd and Royal Dalton came from we're a very small city got a population of 250 pounds um but are so friendly and I, I just love it here you know obviously it's good, it's my hometown but i wouldn't want to move anywhere else but we don't have as many opportunities unfortunately as people in cities which is a shame because there's a lot of talent here in stoke but we are getting recognized at the moment for quite a lot more than we were a few years back so that's been good on stoke <laughs> and you made the decision to make stoke the setting for your books i mean in some ways that would be quite a you can see that's quite a risky decision. A lot of your readers won't have heard of Stokes. Why are we getting recognised at the moment? To really ground yourself there. See, now that's that's another round, roundabout story. When I first took, took out Taunting the Dead, nobody wanted it because it wasn't set in London or it wasn't set in Dublin or Edinburgh. Risky decision. A lot of, and I was convinced I wanted to have my, my home. I would have changed it, I'll be honest with you, at the time it to get a publishing deal but I'm glad I didn't now but when I got my final deal with dead nobody wanted me to write in Stoke and they wanted to embrace what I'd done, done to get up to this step people would know and I, and then you make me uh, mark me out as an author in paperback as well so that was quite an honour really that they, they turned it around and, and they were quite happy to do it so it worked out in a roundabout way. And you've been named as one of Stoke's most influential people I am, yes, for the year running. I'm very, very proud of that. <laughs> it doesn't really mark you out, doesn't it? You're, you're absolutely unapologetic about it. And certainly your books, they feel very grounded in a very, very real place that I would imagine. It's so, it would. New York simply wouldn't be. Yeah, I, actually, she did it was set in, in London. Haven't you? I am, yeah. The least selling of my books, because maybe because of, because of that, a lot of people have said they prefer the gritty side, but I wanted to, to write something with my own creative mind. I wanted to write a book set in London and set in... Very grounded and a very... very the gritty element to it, but that is the only one I, I've written out of and probably won't do any more because of that reason. <laughs> Which I quite enjoyed that one. <laughs> I think it's a good to have a change. Yes. <laughs> one of the things you mentioned on your blog is that you have a bucket list as a writer. And I just really love this because I think a lot of people have sort of goals. Still with the things I have to do. Whereas I love the idea of bucket list. It feels very kind of positive and life affirming. So what kind of things do you have on it? Or are they are they quite personal? No, they're not quite personal. I'll probably... <laughs> I love them actually. I've just managed to get I think a quote from Martina Cole, who was my absolute idol in the book world. So that was the the top thing on my bucket list. So I need to think of something else. That's um, fantastic to get this. Yeah. Yes, I mean she's absolute, absolutely top of the crime tree, isn't she? 
Yeah, she sold about 50 million books. It's like, yeah, yeah, she's great. But there was things that probably very UK, Kate achieved one of them actually, um, go to Harrogate Festival. And that's actually the big Tina Cole, who was my, and I wanted to be on, and they've done that now. And, and things that, you know, I never thought I'd sell a million books. That wasn't on my list. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, if I thought it would get anywhere near it, it would have been on the list. But yeah, it's nice to have things like that to, to look forward to as well, because writing can be an up and down you know world and you have to have strive for at the moment and striving to get my next Marcy Steele book out and you know and see what I can do with her. And do you set yourself very specific goals around wanting to be on a panel there and appease or make and things like, you know, I think with with the world of writing you can never tell like I said I was very very lucky with taunting the, the dead that it took off and then I could bring some more out on the back of it so I know I've got an or two as well because but majority of the books within the fact 20,000 which which is, is, is fantastic so if I can get that that level all the time I'm happy with that pay my costs back to my production team if I'm self-publishing so yeah. And do you how long with that actually? Just surprised me still. What do you think has surprised you most? Or if you were to look the thing that would surprise me most was that I found a business that I didn't think existed. Um, when you're working for somebody, I took off and then I could bring some more until five or whatever hours or you, you enjoy your job, you come home. But I wasn't fulfilled doing that. And because I couldn't get that traditional deal that I wanted, I'm, I'm glad in a way that I'm happy with that. And obviously it did because I then found out that I could do this on my own too, and I never thought there was a businesswoman inside of me. It just surprised me still. One person said, that's absolutely ridiculous. Do you realise how strong you are to actually have gone through? Now, what was instilled you most? So yes, I am. <laughs> I didn't realise how, how strong I was, but there was nobody in the end going to tell me that I couldn't do it, and I would have just carried on anyway until I was exhausted or it wasn't fun and come home. But I think that's the main thing. I, I found this business because just runs this business deal that I wanted. I'm, I'm glad in a way that I'm with just that one person, really. And when I look at what you do, your marketing and the way you do it just seems so solid. Have you sat down and studied book marketing or long? How, how have you gone about that? I've literally learned as I've gone along, I've never I've known you are to actually do indirect marketing. Like I did the blog continue and I thought, actually, yes, I am <laughs> on there, but it's not as nice, nice as it used to be on there. And, but I'm constantly networking with people, and I know a lot of people now have uh, got a good, good, good name out there. To be fair, so my um, my of, of you know, marketing, I market other people because then that brings that now just runs to me as well. But I also tell about debuts and I'm making income has to be asked for. But and an article uh, published, in, and I was the only one who hadn't got a marketing background. Solid. Have you set- had a blog? My blog at the time was called High Heels and Boot Deals because I couldn't because I couldn't get about that I've literally learned so I talked about my writing a bit on there but I used to interview other writers on there and that built my my network of of friends as as well so that was my marketing indirect marketing really not in your face basically buy my book buy my book but bringing them to me and 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 seeing from there and certainly your your social media feed your Facebook feed is full of you and other people and you're you're very generous to other authors i mean your your excitement at, at sort of meeting the big stars but but this your support for up and coming writers as well seems to be very core to what you do 
Yeah, thank you. That's very nice. I do like to support all the debut authors. I do get too many books sent to me, unfortunately. It's a bit stressful to try and, and, and read so many. But yeah, I always remember my roots and always remember me being low and not being able to get that deal. And then when I do get the deal, I want to give back, really. Um, I did think of starting a writing business called Start Right Now, but in actual fact, I did it for quite a few months in the background. And when it came to it, I didn't like writing about writing. I didn't like the, the nonfiction side. So I've decided, which I'm doing at the moment, is to go back to how I used to do the high heels and book deals and start interviewing authors on my website again, because that gives them a bit of marketing, but also readers come and find me, readers come and find them, and it gives them a bit of space. And yeah, I do like to encourage people because it is hard. It's hard to, to sit on your own and, and do the, the writing and have the confidence and the self-doubt that is there needs to disappear and, and stay away, which is hard. But also it, it's nice to support debuts because we've all been there and we all want that little leg up if we can get it. And it's such a win-win thing from what you're saying that you benefit because your network you build your network and everybody else benefits because there's authors benefit this it's not a sort of closed a, a sort of limited world no no well majority of authors i've met have been absolutely fantastic and they'll support each other and there's one one thing about the self-publishing world in particular there is no competition because you're not vying with somebody else because there's, there's no limited shelf space and everybody will just promote each other just because somebody buys my book doesn't mean they're not going to buy somebody else's and, and vice versa. So you just need to be nice in this game, don't you? It's the same as any, any game. There's no point in being negative. I just don't I don't see the point in that. If I don't like a book as well, I won't review it. And I, I just I won't ever tell the author I didn't like it. But I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't review it. A lot of people think it's great to go out and, and put bad reviews on. And I, I'm just not one of them people. Life's too short for that. You reserve all your nastiness for your murder weapons. <laughs> I certainly do, yes. I could stab a few people in the book. <laughs> <laughs> is it still possible to do what you've done, you think, now that self-publishing is so established? Yes, I think so. But I think, bearing in mind, when I was when I was doing it, I'd probably be spending 10, 12 hours a day, every day. I've only just this year started to have Sundays off and I'm trying to close down at five o'clock at night time and try not to take my laptop in, in the front room. It is constantly being on call. I've had to switch off Facebook messages sometimes as well because I like to react straight away. So you were literally, I was literally on call. I think if you learn properly, there is masses of people still taking them Kindle charts by storm. You just need to be make sure that your cover is is very eye-catchy, make sure your edits are the best, make sure everything you do is the best, actually. Don't just put something out just just in case. Stand, stand out from the crowd or join in with the crowd if you need to blend in with a certain genre, but getting to know other authors, that's a good thing to do as well. Right. So I'm hearing a real mix of make sure your own work is as good as it can be, get out there, meet people and be nice to them definitely that could be in a nutshell (laughs) yeah definitely there is a lot of people who will help you out there the only thing I would say is don't bombard an author if an author does you know you send an email to them and they don't get back straight away it doesn't necessarily mean they won't get back to you or they don't want to it sometimes means they're on a deadline I've had some email from one person from a person one day and then next day why haven't I replied sort of thing but other than that I have a list of emails I put them on and I do them as, as and when I can I have to go to ground sometimes when I'm editing or drafting so I'll help anybody out I can if I've got the time. Now, where can people connect with you and find out about your books and your work? 
obviously I'm, I have a page on Amazon where you can find out all my books. Um, my website is www.malsherrett.co.uk. I shall be putting Marcy Steele on there later this year as well. I'm on Twitter at writermals. And I'm on Facebook at Mal Sherrett Author, and they are the majority of places that you can find me, or at a, a crown writing festival around the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find all those links on the Creative Life Show website, so you can connect directly there. Mel, thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to hearing how the Marcy Steele books go, and it sounds a bit of a new direction. Thank you, Joanna. It's, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. And I hope you found some inspiration in there to go out and do it. It's it's the combination of discipline, hard work and going out and meeting people. I think that applies so widely to so many creative disciplines. I hope you found some great inspiration and ideas in there. So have a wonderfully creative week and I'll see you back here very soon. Mm-hmm.